Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we visit a water training weekend to help commemorate 40 years of Newfoundland welfare. They're big, they're hairy, they're slobbery. They've got to be with you. They're not dogs you can leave outside. They um, take up all your room in your car. Yeah. Your home becomes a large dog kennel. Remember, that was said with love by a lady who has relished sharing her life with several gentle giants over the years. And you can hear more of that later, as well as the Dogcast Radio News and a listener who wants advice from you. But before all that, we have an interview with Karen Litzinger, who has produced the CD, Heal Your Heart, Coping with the Loss of a Pet. Karen is a licensed professional counsellor with specialised training in pet bereavement counselling. I wanted to know how she got interested in pet bereavement. Well, it was a bit of a journey, Julie. Um, although I'm a licensed professional counselor, my main professional training and expertise is career counseling. But I've always loved animals, of course, from my little dog, Ginger, a chihuahua I received when I was four years old. Um, but I think the journey started when my mother invited me to attend an animal blessing in a Catholic church where I grew up. And I loved that experience so much that I came home and I wanted to write a non-denominational uh, animal blessing that I could use in my church. And I did it that night. I got so inspired and did that at my church and actually presented it at the local park a couple times and started doing some um, welcoming of animals, ceremonies in individual homes, and some memorial services uh, as on a volunteer basis initially. And then I decided when I needed more counseling credits, I chose to do a week-long training through the American Academy of Bereavement uh, and actually renewed that uh, status four years later through specialized training and an internship through the um, Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. So I just knew, I felt like I was going to do something eventually with pet loss, but I was not very active in it until my dog Pepper of 15 years died in 2006. So I had Pepper from four months and I um, a difficult, drawn-out death, and, and mm. I uh, took care of myself when I um, lost him, and I had some memorial things that I did for myself, um, and I called you know off my appointments, and I uh, did a little memorial service. I made a photo album, but it was when I brought the cremains of my dog Pepper home from the veterinarian that I had this inspiration that I wanted to help other people. I felt that, you know, I've had this background and that I wanted to help other people, and that's really where the CD inspiration came from. And that became a mission of mine really for two and a half years, and then it was, it was further uh, inspired because my other dog, Zep, died four months after Pepper. So it became a real mission uh, to do the CD. Yeah, yeah. That, that's incredibly tough to lose two, you know, dogs that are really close to you, that close together as well. That's really hard. 
It really, it really was, and and they, and there's just no way to prepare for that. And they were two very different deaths. Pepper was of old age and a six-month caretaking, and Zep was a sudden situation where I was at the emergency room and needed to make the decision that difficult euthanasia decision mm-hmm. that day. Yeah, yeah. Now I know you're you're um, maybe proud, isn't? Is you tell me whether that's the right word, but I know you you are. Um, I'm going to say proud that your CD includes a section on helping people who ha- have had to make that decision to euthanize their animal. Yes, I, I I just think it's one of the most difficult decisions, and that's what makes pet loss different than human loss is that intense. It's a responsibility that people take on when you're taking on a companion animal. It's to take care of them and keep their quality of life throughout their lifetime. And sometimes we are faced, you know, with, you know, what I call that a courageous, humane decision. Uh, and it's very hard. And there's not a, an absolute right or wrong time, a lot of gray area in there, but it really is in many cases, a, a last loving gift to give to your dear animal. Yeah, yeah. It is, and yet, at the same time, as you say, you've got all these conflicting emotions, and it can feel like a betrayal because they look to you and their whole life, you know, or as long as you've had together, you've, you've tried to protect them, and then suddenly you have to make this decision that goes against everything you, your instincts are telling you to do. Right. I mean, it's that complete dependence on us that makes first the bond so strong and what makes that responsibility so overwhelming because they can't talk to us, you know, they can't, um, well, they can't talk directly. I mean, uh, certainly some people can have communication on on many levels. um, And, you know, I think I try to help people remember, you know, that it's, I don't counsel a lot around euthanasia, but after the fact, you know, that you're making the best decision that you can at the time with the information that you have and that, of course, you're doing it out of love. You've loved your animal all those years, and this is your best way to be loving. And even though it's difficult, it can often be the most loving, courageous gift to give. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the tracks on the CD is called um, "A Word on A Word About Guilt," isn't it? Yeah. And yes. I, I found that I found that really interesting. And sometimes the guilt comes from a weird place because I um, obviously over the years of doing dog cast, people have got in touch and they've lost their dog, um, and so many people have said, you know, that they they have felt this sort of guilt about the amount of grief. And I've always said, no, 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 you know, you d- don't do that. This is your dog. And then when we recently lost our cat, I knew exactly what they meant because no one at all, I think in truth, no one dared to say to me, it's only a cat because they knew exactly what <laughs> I would say. Um, but, you know, I'd be, I would be seeing the awful things that are on the news, in the international news, in the local news, whatever. And I'd be thinking, I've got all this raw pain for a cat. And... That was in me somehow, and it's very bound up within us, within the society, you know, this feeling that, do I, do I have the right to this amount of guilt for an animal? It's, it's a weird time. Well, you know, it's, I think it's, um, what you're talking about, Julie, actually sounds 
as much about do I have the right to feel this much pain mm. and loss and sadness as do I have the right to feel so much guilt. I mean, there could be both of these going on, but what I think happens, which actually might even deal a little bit more with the bond, is people don't realize how deep that bond is, and so they uh, get messages, as you said, from people, oh, it's only a dog, it's just a cat. And part of what I think pet loss bereavement counselors like me and like the CD try to do is to normalize that it's natural to feel deep grief and pain uh, for the loss. And that's so important. People used to keep those feelings inside of them uh, because it wasn't so socially acceptable to uh, feel that deeply. And some people feel and grieve more deeply for an animal loss than even a human loss. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, my perspective on that, I mean, this relates really to the bond, is that animals give us complete, unconditional love. Mm. Uh, there's no history, no emotional baggage, and certainly they're with us constantly, yes. um, as opposed to, say, parents that we've parted with uh, living many years uh, ago. And so I think that's why the bond is so deep and why the grief is so deep and that people don't feel so comfortable acknowledging that because of their concern of what people will think and is it normal and natural, but it is. That's the main message of the CD, I think, and that any counselor would say. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I didn't have any counselling, but I wish I had had your CD, actually, when we lost Luna, because it's, it's so nice to have that friendly voice there, you know, saying to you, you know, what you're feeling, you have a right to feel. And as you say, it's, it's sort of normal. And it was so nice. It was just like having a friend sitting with you going, it's fine, it's okay. And one of the things I think that was really useful is there is this conflict, you know, when you do, people say to you, you're going through these emotions, they say, it is only a cat or a dog. And one of the things I liked about the CD was you say, I'm not going to waste my energy on trying to explain to those people. I'm just going to, you know, get on with my grieving process. And I think that was really useful. Right, right. You know, it's good to reach out. And, you know, I see more people, including myself, who've sent emails to friends and family, letting them know about it. Mm. And the ones who get it, you know, they're the ones who are going to support you. They're the ones who are going to come back. The other ones... You, right. You just let it go. They, mm. they don't get it. I actually did a training session for a grief center here, and a participant who was a volunteer said, you know, she didn't get it until later she had an animal and lost the animal that yeah. she, she knew. And even though she held her tongue to not say it was only a cat or a dog, um, <laughs> to be polite, yeah. she felt that way and the later understood. So people, not everyone will get it. So you want to find the people, whether they're friends or a support group or an internet chat room, to get the support of the folks who know that it's normal and natural to grieve deeply. Yeah, yeah. I think another thing, you know, particularly from a British um, viewpoint, you know, there's that sort of stiff upper lip 
um, attitude. Okay. Sort of don't you know? Don't cry. Um, just just forget. And yet, some of the tracks, um, particularly, I'm just going to look at the CD. The particularly um, the track called "Emotions and Grieving," um, mm-hmm. and I found that really moving. And I think that would be a you know a track that you could actually really have a good cry to. Is that an important part of it? You know, not to sort of try and, and stop the grief. Right, yeah. I mean, if you get if yourself or if you get the message from other people of the keep a stiff upper lip or yeah. <laughs> don't cry, you know, which, I mean, I saw my mother say that to my sister after a, a husband died, and I, as a counselor, would say, oh, no, you know, because what it does, if you're not experiencing the grief in some fashion, and everyone will experience it differently, it's not always tears, but if you don't experience the grief and sadness in some fashion, it can manifest itself later and become what we call in the field complicated grief. So if you have a later loss or a death, you may still be dealing with your animal's grief. Or it might be a year later that it shows up in an unusual way. So it's, it's, it's better to own it and experience it in some ways. I think that certainly most people in the field believe that tears are a natural way to help wash away the grief and move through the grief. I mean, it never really goes away completely. Uh, But I attended a training session um, at a national counselor group here uh, in the United States, and it also talked about how people grieve or cope um, through behavior or mentally. So behavior might be doing a ritual or a memorial service or a planting of a tree or a bush. You know, grieving mentally or coping mentally might be through reading some pet loss material or pet loss sites. So the grieving can happen in different ways. Um, But I think most of us feel that that sadness should, you know, should be owned and experienced in some way, whatever it is to that person. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's it's one thing dealing with your own grief and your own reaction. Um, but when there's a child who's lost this animal as well, that's, that's particularly difficult. And I, we went through that. The, the cat that we lost was particularly ad- attached to my daughter, and that was horrible to deal with your own sadness and then to, to sort of be sad for your child as well and, and try and support them. And, and you have a section to s- help support parents, you know, and, and children, don't you? Yes. Yes, because really helping your child when a pet dies may be their first introduction to death. And so it's a teaching moment as well as naturally you wanting to comfort and take care, you know, of your son or daughter. Uh, And children grieve in different ways. There's no right or wrong. on my website, I have links to a veterinary medical college that breaks down the different ages and typical reactions and stages of, of grieving. Um, you know, very, you know, babies, for instance, kind of know something's going on, so your goal there is to just cuddle them and keep the routine going. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- young um, preschoolers of like two to four, they often ask, a lot of questions, and they may be dealing with it through through play. So you might think, oh, they're thinking no big deal, but that's part of 
actually coping. Um, sort of a little older in that five to eight year old range, they may be less willing to talk about death. Um, but they, and, and they might also feel responsible, just a sense of responsibility about it. You know, we get into the preteens of like nine to twelve. They they can uh, actually sustain more time with grief, um, and they might get preoccupied with it. And and memorial rituals are really good for that that age group. And then you get into sort of the teens, and one day they might feel devastated, and one may, day it might look like they're they're okay, and so it, it, if ideally, if they, it's going to depend on what their friends are like. If their friends are supportive and willing to talk, they're going to get the support they need. If they're not, that's going to be an issue for them. But take the lead from the child or teen in answering their questions. Direct doesn't have to be overly detailed. Don't use you know, euphemisms like the vet put Fluffy down or Spot went to sleep. You know, you want to be direct, like, um, you know, Fluffy was very old and her body stopped working, you know. Hmm. Um, She died, but her memories will always be with us. So just being direct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree. It's the best way. Um, Do you have any stories you can share, you know, about people who've used your CD? Uh, sure. Actually, one that most comes to my mind was just a lovely email from a woman who wrote back and said, you know, how helpful that she just cried and cr- cried and she didn't think she could ever stop crying or look at her Bower, her sweet cat Bower's picture without crying. And and she got the CD uh, online and and wrote that she couldn't believe, you know, she stopped crying the next day she was able she cried all through the cd and i will warn people that you know you you will probably have tears through the cd but that's actually good and natural to help wash you know move through and she talked about how it helped her be able to look at her her bower sweet picture and not cry and how she wanted to get another cat uh, but she also didn't want, she wanted to be fair to the cat and be in a good state of mind when she brought a new special companion in. Uh, and that she just felt kind of reframed, you know, that the, the, the pain started to move into loving memories. And, and the piece she liked also, she talked about how in the CD I talk a little bit about, you know, what would your animal say to you? What would your animal want for you? You know, they wouldn't want you to be tormenting yourself with guilt or be in pain over any second guessing. And so that helped her a great deal too, she said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you mentioned on the CD that sort of moving on um, is, is not a betrayal of the animal that you've loved you know, it's it's sort of celebrating what you had with them. Right, right. It's it's a celebration, and it's honor in a way. It's honoring yeah. that bond and love by saying, you know, my animal was so special to me. I want to give that love and share that love with another animal. And it's and it's um, sort of moving through, moving on. Isn't about replacing, you know, or forgetting because those memories are always going to be deep in your heart and another animal is not going to be the same way so you're always going to have a special relationship with that animal and the other thing i think about in terms of the whole 
I don't know if you, you know, sometimes people say, well, when do I get enough, should I get another animal, or mm. what's the right time? And, you know, there really is no absolute right or wrong time. But the main thing is to have allowed yourself to experience and feel enough of the pain so that you're not just running out and trying to replace the animal. Otherwise, there might not be a bond with that other animal, and you'll be disappointed, and it won't be fair to that you know, other animal. But um, now, it, traditionally, a lot of people have said to wait and take a good amount of time to make the decision, but I've also run into people who have gotten another special pet in not too long a time, mm. and we're very happy and very bonded. So there's not a right or wrong time, just making sure you've felt enough and that you're not looking for an exact replacement and you know that your animal will be different and that you'll always still have the special memory of your, your past beloved. Yeah, yeah. I, um, a, a couple I know lost um, a, a dog that was sort of only two or three years old. Um, and although they had another uh, two other dogs um they obviously they the expression she said to me was she said we needed something to get us out of the doldrums and they have um they've gone for a different breed uh and this dog is is sort of a, a, about four months old now four or five months and she's thrown herself into training this dog um and it's a border collie and and the dog is fantastic but you know in the bond between them is amazing and you know obviously she still loves the other two dogs as well and she's getting you know carrying on their training but this the focus it's given her has really helped her move on and you know and, and cope yes yes and you know and i think that's exactly why julie that i think sometimes getting an animal sooner rather than later can be helpful even though traditionally there has been the weight message because it can be um, coping. I know when my pepper died and I still had Zep, that was of great, yeah. you know, comfort to me uh, in terms of in terms of coping. And a, a playful puppy it uh, could be uh, bringing joy into your life uh, and and helpful in coping. You know, as long as it's not replacing and as long as that grief has been somewhat experienced. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's um. You know, I, I am aware that by having two dogs, you know, hopefully I'm, I mean, this is uh, putting it very baldly, but, um, you know, I'm hedging my bets so that hopefully I will always have one dog and I won't have to be in that position of not having a dog and, and thinking, gosh, should I go out and get, you know, it's somewhere in my mind. I know <laughs> that's a thought. <laughs> oh, I way know what you're talking about, Julie, because when, when Pepper died and Zep was here, I was thinking right away about how helpful it was to have Zep and should I get another dog. And, you know, who knows? You know, what worked out great is that Zep had four months of time just with me. And yeah. so that that was like a lovely little gift for him. And, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if, if someone does feel that they, they, you know, they're not coping or they need help to, to um, move through this, this, the bereavement time, um, how do you go about finding a good pet bereavement counsellor? Mm-hmm. You know, what I'd first say before making a suggestion is um, don't feel like you need to see yourself as not being able to cope to get some extra help because um, 
it's often a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness to seek some assistance. And, and that assistance, you know, could come in a variety of ways, a, a pet bereavement counselor, internet chat line, some phone counseling. Um, I guess I'd like to first mention in terms of an internet chat room, uh, the premier really international association that deals with pet loss is the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. Um, and all of this is on my website, but I, you know, I'll briefly mention, you know, this website is www.aplb.org. And they have um, five chat rooms weekly that deal with pet loss, and this is supervised by a clinical psychologist. Um, what I also want to say, in case there are some pet lovers out there who have some older animals, and besides tucking all this that we're saying away, you might want to know one of the most amazing resources that the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement has is a euthanasia decision chat room that I believe is once or twice a month, and I personally use that and found that greatly, greatly helpful. Mm. Um, there's also... Uh, as we're speaking internationally, a website I, I really want to mention because it's very worldwide, uh, and there is a Monday evening candle ceremony on a website, www.petloss.com, and it is translated into 30 languages. So you can be in front of your computer, privately light a candle, um, read this non-denominational reading and know that you're joining hearts with thousands of people around the world at the same time. And, to, and they also have some chat room time then as well. Um, for counselor listings, there's a really wonderful site. And I don't know, this might be a little United States-based, um, and that's why I wanted to mention the... the uh, Monday evening candle ceremony, but uh, probably the quickest link to counselors is at a site www.pet-loss.net, and so you can find some counselors there. It might be a little United States-based, but what I would say for anybody in any country, you want to check with your local closest veterinary medical college because often they have phone hotlines that you can call. Uh, and I know, you know there's some links through the American Veterinary Medical Association on my site uh, to all of the pet lines in the United States, but I would say definitely contact the veterinary medical college near you because they may have some resources as well. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, don't, you don't, it's not that you can't cope necessarily but you just need that little bit of help and and it's it's like with training isn't it sometimes you're too you're so close to the situation you can't see what you need to do oh yeah <laughs> I think I've been there personally <laughs> I, I ended up you know connecting with a counselor after I passed a little period of low point but you're right I think you're making a good point and so it's good not to see it as you know, a sign of weakness, but wow, there's all this support out there. And also mm. to realize that since it's not so widely accepted and you don't get the message universally that it's normal and natural, that it's 
a good thing to go and reach out to find the people who know that it's normal and natural to support you because unlike a human death, you will not often be getting as much support. Yeah, yeah. We One of the things I find most touching about doing DogCast is when someone emails me and they, they'll attach a picture off and, you know, and say this was my, you know, Fluffy or whoever um, and he died, you know, and they obviously are wanting something and it, I find then it's something I really want to do but it's so difficult to know what to say and I just kind of say, you know, just know, others know what you're going through and, you know, try to say, you know, he looks a really nice dog and sort of give something back. But I know there are many people that sort of come and listen to the shows who who have gone through this or maybe are coping with this at the moment. What advice would you have for someone who, who is struggling with this grief at the moment? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think probably one of the pieces I've mentioned multiple times is to know it's normal and natural. You know, also that there's no exact right, right time or manner of grieving. It could be days, weeks, months, or even years intermittently. Um, So allow yourself that time and space. Take care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, uh, and reach out to people. Now, I would also say that over time, and there's not an exact period here, that if you notice that it's affecting you so significantly that it's impacting your daily living, you know, over a period of time, like not sleeping well for weeks or not eating well for, you know, Mm. staying in bed for days. Um, That might be a time to seek a counselor. Some of that is normal and natural in short periods where you're not able to eat, you're not able to sleep, of course, the crying, oh, that's normal. But you want to see if it's keeping you from living a normal life and activities, moving on, not moving away and forgetting your animal, but moving on. And that might be a time to seek some assistance. Uh, besides the general support that's good, even when you're coping in experiencing things of grief normally. Uh, And that there are stages, you know, there are stages of being in shock, and that might happen even during the diagnosis uh, or the death or the accident. Um, some, Some anger is natural, whether it's at yourself, and then that puts you into guilt uh, or anger at the veterinarian and that, that depression is often a piece of it and then there is the acceptance uh, and the, uh, the, the pain being shifted to uh, loving memory. And it's not an exact cycle. Sometimes people call those stages of grieving. You might be moving back and forth. You might not yeah. be feeling all those emotions. But there's a range of emotions and it's a unique journey. Yeah. I was going to say that one of the things I found was I'd, you know, I'd think, oh, I'm, I'm getting better, you know, I'm getting myself together. And then I was, I, one of the things I was trying to do was gather all the photographs of her together. So we'd have, I, I just, you know, thought I need all the photographs of her together. And I would, I'd think, yeah, I'm together enough to do it. And I'd start to do it. And within a couple of minutes, I'd just be streaming with tears and I'd be thinking, I'm no better than I was, you know, I'm not getting over it. And it does come in, in waves, doesn't it? Yeah, unexpectedly. It comes and goes, and that's all natural. You know, just allowing yourself to experience that is a, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Karen, 
I'm sure there will be many people that sort of want to come and find out more about you and the CD and, and experience this help. Where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, on my website, which is www.healfrompetloss.com. Healfrompetloss.com. And there's nice links to pet loss sites, a whole article about guilt. Uh, and, of course, people can listen to excerpts of the CD uh, through the site as well and, and purchase it if they uh, are interested. It's also a nice thing to keep in mind as a gift for a pet lover friend. You know, sometimes you don't know what to say, like you said, yeah. when people say that. I had a colleague who sent flowers, uh, and, and she really liked the idea of the CD because it was, it was practical uh, assistance as well as an emotional support for them. If you want to find out more about Karen and her Heal Your Heart CD, we have a link to healfrompetloss.com on the Dogcast Radio site. If losing a pet is something you're dealing with, know that you're not alone in what you're feeling and that there are people who care and want to help you. Humans don't have the monopoly on grief. Think of Greyfriars Bobby, who spent 14 years living on the grave of John Gray, his late master. We've created a number of dog-related websites over the years, and recently we've used GoDaddy, the world's largest domain name registrar. If you're looking to set up your own dog website or blog, we have a couple of special offers for you. You can get 20% off hosting plans with the coupon code DOG20H1. That's D-O-G-2-0-H-1. Or get 30% off a .com domain with the code DOGCAST6. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T and the number 6. If you do decide to set up your own site, we'd love to hear about it. You can find out more about these and other offers by going to dogcastradio.com forward slash GoDaddy. Dogcast Radio is a paid affiliate of GoDaddy UK. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. We love research that highlights how good our dogs are for us in so many ways. And a recent study by researchers from St George's University of London found that children from dog-owning families have higher levels of physical activity compared to children without a family dog. Over 2,000 children were studied and the 10% of them who owned a dog on average spent 11 minutes more per day exercising than their dogless counterparts. Previous studies have focused on dogs' influence on adult exercise habits, but this study indicates that having a family dog might help stem the rising tide of childhood obesity. Well, it's certainly a point worth making if you're a child who's trying to persuade their parents to get a dog. And if that doesn't work, you could try this one. An art installation in a Massachusetts park in the USA has been demonstrating how even the worst aspect of dog ownership, the waste they produce, can be put to good use. Dog walkers have been asked to scoop their dog's poop, then deposit it in a tank and stir the contents. Microbes in the tank digest the excrement, creating gas in the process, which goes into a second tank and then powers a lamp attached to it. So could this be a viable alternative energy source? Well, in India, methane digesters are already used to create fuel for cooking. So maybe poop power will help us be more environmentally friendly. Meanwhile, another dog in the UK is keeping right up to date with technology. 
Smithy is a two-year-old Labrador who is one of only two dogs in the West Midlands Police Force trained to find blood and human remains. And he has his own Twitter account. Smithy posts about the various jobs he is called out to help on. And when we last checked, he had 1,671 followers. The police force has been criticised for wasting time setting up Smithy's account. But we think it's a great way to inform the public about the role of dogs in the police force. If you want to follow Smithy on Twitter, his full ident is WMP CSI Dog Smithy. And we'll have a link to that on the Dogcast Radio site. Another working dog who has been putting his nose to good use is guide dog Gino, a golden retriever Labrador Cross. Gino has been named guide dog of the year in the UK, not just for his guiding work, but for his ability to warn his owner, Maxine Ingram, when she is about to have an epileptic fit. Gino leads Maxine to safety, or barks to attract assistance for her, and he once managed to bark a warning that a man on the bus was about to have a fit. Gino's achievements are all the more incredible because he has never been trained to predict seizures. It is a behaviour that he has developed himself. And on the subject of unusual behaviour, here's a story of a dog being saved in a very unusual way. In Montana, USA, when a dog owner discovered her dog about to be attacked by a bear, she scared the bear off with the first thing that came to hand, a zucchini she grabbed from her kitchen counter. Now, maybe because bears are carnivores, they're scared of vegetables. But whatever the reason, when the woman threw the zucchini, the bear ran away and both dog and human were unharmed. And finally, older dogs can have a hard time being adopted if they find themselves in rescue. But in June this year, when Betty Holdsworth from West Yorkshire in the UK adopted Billy, the elderly Yorkshire Terrier, she had no idea that she was taking on a record breaker. When veterinary records revealed that Billy was born in 1988, it emerged that he was, in fact, the new oldest living dog in the world. Apart from being blind in one eye and having a few teeth missing, Billy is fit and well and still enjoying two walks a day. His grand old age of 22 years equates to an amazing 154 in human years. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Until next time, goodbye. Newfoundland dogs are good to save children from drowning, but you must have a pond of water handy and a child, or else there will be no profit in boarding a Newfoundland. Josh Billings Most dog breeds have breed-specific rescue organisations, but few have to find new homes for bigger dogs than the Newfoundland Club. We went along to a weekend of water testing and fun events to help commemorate 40 years of Newfoundland Club welfare. So many people wanted to share their stories. It was really heartwarming. First up is John Froggart and his welfare newfie, Buddy. So just how did Buddy come into John's life? I believe that he didn't get on with the pre- one of the owner's dogs. Yeah. And supposedly it caused problems. Yeah. So he, he came to you? Yeah. No, he went to someone else and he got, he'd got a poorly leg at the time. Yeah. And um, they decided that it wasn't for them because they did a lot of outward bounced work. Yeah. So we took him, and his limp cleared up within a week. So just needed time. Yeah. And I've got two other dogs. I've got another Newfoundland, and I've got a German Shepherd that isn't very sociable. Yeah. And the moment he walked through the door, he fell in love with him. Oh. And he's changed him totally. He's wow. become a much kinder, nicer, generous dog. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so he's had a good effect. A brilliant effect on him. Yeah. Pins Buddy down each night and washes him for about an hour and a half. <laughs> 
whether he needs it or not. Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't got any. He doesn't seem to guard as much because he's got his best mates here now who takes over some of the duties. Yeah, yeah. So he can relax a bit. Probably. Yeah, even though he doesn't guard, but yeah. he feels yeah. that he's there to do something. Yeah. Oh. And how did he settle in? He walked through the door, and that was it. He just completely. We changed his name because he didn't he didn't react to any names whatsoever. So we changed his name to Buddy. Yeah. And within three days, he was reacting to the name of Buddy. He did, at first, he didn't give eye contact. He was just really seemed depressed. But within three days, he was a different dog. Yeah. And now, as you've seen, yeah, yeah, he's uh, found himself again. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Buddy is a brilliant name for a dog. Cause my dog's Buddy, and I, I do think there's to an extent. That, I mean, it's nonsense, but they seem to grow into the name. You, you know, yeah. we've met so many busters that are full of... Well, he's from Dirty Dancing Litter as well, so Buddy was um, Patrick Swayze. I think Little Buddy was Patrick Swayze's nickname for his family. Yeah. So... <laughs> so it fits well. Yeah. yeah. And that's why Karen gave him the name Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, g- generally, what's life like with a, with a new fan or with, with two new fans? Well, if you ask me, it's brilliant. Like, I've got no problems whatsoever. If you ask my wife, it's a lot of cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bet. <laughs> and my other knife doesn't slobber, and he, I've found one that does. Yeah. <laughs> and it's better than wallpaper paste. <laughs> I bet it's when they get the draw hanging, and then they go... And it, and it just goes yeah. everywhere, doesn't well, it? You've got to know when the head's about to go and quickly duck out of the way. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's not no better dog, really. The more, there's no more loving dog just give everything to you. I've said this before, if I've got a soulmate and a dog. Isn't that lovely? You can see a photo of John and Buddy on the Dogcast Radio site, as you can all the owners and dogs we spoke to. Carol Branson, who's coming up next, so loves her big dogs that she has five of them. So two adult Newfoundlands, one baby Newfoundland, and two 14-month-old Pyrenees. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. Of which three of Marieheim. Yeah. So, so you said one of them had quite a bad time. Yeah, it's my boy. So, had. what's his story? He was found locked in a six foot by six foot room. They'd been there for twelve months, and they didn't take him out for walks because they couldn't handle him. He wasn't socialised. He only had one of those big rubber tyres, you know, oh, yeah. those tyre things for yeah. a toy. He had to bark for food. He had to bark to go out. When I got him, he was absolutely manic, and I think if we hadn't taken him then, he might have been put down. And he's now turned out to be the most absolutely... He's got gold good citizens, oh, yeah. and he's, he's swimming, he enjoys swimming, but he only enjoys doing what he likes to do, which is fine, yeah, yeah. but he's a fantastic, you know. And if it's taken, as you can imagine, a lot of hard work, because he hadn't got any obedience training, nothing. So what was that so, like when he first arrived? Oh, he was manic, he went not did my rotator cuff in. Pulled in me shoulder. over. Yeah. Just pulling. Just pulling. Yeah. pulling. So that, that's really that's hard a... to take on an adult dog that's, you know, really badly behaved as well. <laughs> I mean, he hadn't got the issues in his body. Oh, no, no, no. But he was just, I've got to get to that person, I've got to get to that dog, I've got to do this, I haven't seen that. Yeah. And no, he was just absolutely no. manic. And he's a big, big dog. Yeah. I mean, he's weighing in at about 83 kilos. I mean, he's about six inches longer than this one in length. Like, he's, he's like a horse. And this one that's sitting with us now that we can hear panting away. Yeah. It's his excitement, look. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's um, lots of dogs and there's water No, nearby. it's water. Is it's it not water? the dogs doing it, it's water doing yeah. this. Um, yeah, he came to me at a year old. Yeah. Um, 
but you're sweetly fine. <laughs> you can't um, eat the money. Eek actually came from a divorce. Yeah. Um, but saying that, his first year he was farmed out to dog walkers and he's, he hadn't got much of a garden. He hadn't got a garden, it's only his little yard to be in. And he was either at dog walkers or at somebody else's house and for the whole 12 months. So there's just no routine, no stability. And how did he settle in First day he was, what would you say, he was fine because he was used to going to the dog walker. And then come the evening it was, oh, time to go home now. Yeah. Which was, you know, so he was used to that routine of being away, but then time to go home. Yeah. And once that time to come home, he mithered and he sat by the door. And, but we eventually persuaded him that this is where he wanted to be. <laughs> and he's turned into an absolutely gorgeous dog. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Because he'll be seven. He'll be seven next week, won't you? So, and he's taken to the other dogs that have come in. The Pyrenean that came in, the puppy followed a week later. <laughs> and he just has accepted it. Yeah. What's life like with a new family? <laughs> Manic. <laughs> so as I live on my own, they, they like attention. Yeah. I'm, I'm with them all the time, I don't work. Yeah. Uh, and it's busy. It's busy, yeah. obviously having so many, it sort of taking, you know, it takes me two and a half hours to walk in the morning and two and a half hours to walk in the afternoon. And then we have a routine with the brushing, and it just really life is the dogs. Yeah. yeah. There's no there's no time for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can you take all, all five of them out in one go, or, or do you? No. Them? What I do is I, I go out in my van. We go down to the local field, local park, and I take the, the three noose together. And then they come back, they go back in the van, and the two periods come out, go for a walk, and they come back in the van, we go home. So that works quite well, really. Yeah. I mean, having said that, they're a big dog and they take some grooming. They seem fairly placid. They are, on the whole. I mean, like any breed, you can get one that can get a bit iffy. Yeah. But I've never had that. I've not, I haven't come across that, really. I haven't no. got that problem. No. And I think welfare dogs, on the whole just want yeah they're so grateful yeah particularly when you start doing lots of things with them like yeah i do we do the water we do the carting do obedience a little bit of agility the bits that they can do so they're constantly um and this one oh i've said about this one I? last year we were doing uh competitive obedience and he got me out of free beginners Brilliant! <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Which is quite a feat when you think you're up against borders yeah. and uh, yeah. all that breed, and he won. He won. Actually, won the ad pre beginners. So, well, well, I don't know whether I've forgiven him yet. <laughs> You've got to work harder now. <laughs> Carol was a lovely lady whose life is devoted to and clearly enriched by her five huge companions. Pam Sargent has given a loving home to many welfare Newfoundlands and she currently has two beautiful boys. My first one, Rube, well, he's actually my fifth um, welfare Newfoundland and he came through the welfare, the actual welfare. Um, he needed a home. We saw a photograph of him on the website, mm. fell in love with his photograph um, and decided that we'd we would take him on. We hadn't met him. Mm. It was purely on a photograph. Wow. 
and and hearsay of, of how yeah. his character was obviously and I actually drove to Birmingham and a meet up he drove came further down the country met him in Birmingham for the first time fell in love with him and took him home my intention was to take him home yeah. obviously yeah. the agreement had yeah. been made and took him home uh, his name was changed yeah and and did he settle in fairly well um, he was fine. I re-ho- we rehomed him because we had a 14-year-old one. Actually, she was 13 at the time, and we just lost a six-year-old, her companion. And um, my 14, 13-year-old one was pining yeah. because she'd never been on her own. Yeah. And it was a sudden death with my six-year-old one, yeah. so it wasn't expected. And um, she took to him straight away and he was an absolute gentleman he hadn't been neutered but he was a perfect gentleman he seemed to know that he was um, he was with an older dog and yeah. he got to behave himself and they absolutely oh. fell in love yeah. and he guarded her he minded her yeah and if she was in the garden he would would not come in while she was still out there yeah. he, he, i've got to keep an eye on it yeah yeah, oh. yeah he wouldn't come in while she was yeah. still out there yeah. and it was very very sad when she died mm. at a very good age that's uh, over 14 yeah. years, very good age, and then he was at a loss because yeah. he'd never had a companion. He'd never been. He'd lived outside. He hadn't been socialised, so he'd had a good time with her. She was his like his first mate. Yeah. And um, so then he was at a loss, yeah. and we felt oh, we've got to get do something quick. And we were on the lookout, on the listen out for another yeah. companion for him. And us, we'd always had two or three new yeah, fears, and going down to one seemed funny. Yeah. So um, we heard of our little boy Tug, who also we changed his name to Tug. Um, he was coming from a loving home, and um, but the lady felt that he would be better in a family home, and um, as a companion to Rupert. So we took him on. Yeah. So, and, and, and they, they just absolutely bonded from the moment they saw each other. They bonded, and they are so close to each other. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do. So, I mean, lots of people have got sort of at least two. You know, you see three, know. four, five, round, and they do seem a really sociable breed. Yes, don't they? they do. Um, they absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, Rupert can't bear tug out of his sight he's, he's almost too yeah. too bonded to yeah. him um, Tug doesn't seem to mind if Rupert waddles off you know he's a sleepy boy he's a bit of a lay, very laid back sleepy one which yeah. is really like yeah. how the breed is but I think because Tug had um, you know a very lonely mm. start in life yeah. I mean he was four when we had him yeah. and we've had him three years now uh, he was, he's been hard work mm. he had a lot of baggage that came with him and he's 80% better I don't think we'll get a yeah. lot further than yeah. we've got now but 80% better than he yeah. was and, and Tug was a youngster mm. you know so he, yeah. he's been easier but um, you know, we, we love them and say that he's, they're the sixth dog we've rehomed yeah. so you obviously like them so well, somebody's got to give them a home. Yeah. We've had puppies. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we've, we've had no families for a long, long, long yeah. time. Yeah. So with all that experience, you, you can tell me with authority, what is life like with a new Um, Life changes completely. Mm. Uh, it changes in the way that you, they're big, they're hairy, they're slobbery. 
they've got to be with you. They're not dogs you can leave outside. They um, take up all your room in your car. You change your lifestyle. You, you go from a car to an estate because even to go into the vet's a major thing or yeah. a, then you decide a van is better then you realise they need caging or restrictions because to have those thrown about in a vehicle, put the brakes on quickly, yeah. if you're in an ordinary vehicle they can decapitate you, mm. go straight through the windscreen mm. really so for their safety and your safety you need really the caging which you would probably notice yeah. the there's the a lot of vans yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, then you'd start all the events, the water work so you get the harnesses um, all the wetsuits, the dry suits, the boat equipment yeah. and everything that goes with that. <laughs> then you get into carting and then you have the carts and the harnesses and the shafts and, and everything that that entails. So you need to transport all this around, so hence, hence a van. Yeah. And then you start probably with a tent and you think at all these events and, and in rally fields. Um, you can't go every day back and forth because some of them are a long way away so then you think of a tent and then after a short while you think well it's very hard coping with a tent with Newfoundlanders so you end up with a caravan yeah. so really your whole life if you're really into them yeah. you know they're not just your pet you, you do them to in, really enjoy it, it does change yeah. your home becomes a large dog kennel <laughs> It does. It's slobber. You think you got, you're dressed up, you're going out, you look nice. You think you look nice, and you suddenly get told, oh, you've got slobber down the back, you know. <laughs> so that really what you do, you get almost ready to go out, cover yourself up, say goodbye to the dogs, fly upstairs, get your best things yeah. on, run downstairs and go out the door quick before you've got this stuff hanging yeah. on the back of you. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> do get quite damp. As soon as you sort of say hello to a newbie, you're damp, aren't you? Some, yeah. some dribble and draw more than others. They all dribble with excitement and near food. Mm. But some of them have got quite a loose jowl. And yeah. Some of them have got quite a tight mouth. So that they're, um, my two are different. One dribbles a lot different mm. to the other. But um, yeah, they're no, they've, all, they've all been interesting. They've all been, yeah. all been lovely dogs. So yeah. I've enjoyed having them. Pam was very proud of her two lovely boys, and you can see a photo on the Dogcast Radio site of the beautifully painted van they travel around in. Rachel Gaines has a varied pack, including some welfare Newfoundlands. Um, I've got three pure, one half Newfoundland Boxer. Yeah. Um, and I've got a little Cocker Spaniel Collie Cross. Yeah. Right, so you've got a pack. I have, I have. And, and you've got welfare, Newfoundland. Yes, yeah. um, so my, both my girls are welfare Newfoundlands, yeah. um, and the Newfie Boxer Cross is also rescue, as is the little yeah. Spaniel. Yeah. But. So the Newfoundland welfare does crosses as well, does it? Always? Sometimes, yeah, they will, yeah. They will come through. Um, yeah. This one actually didn't come directly through welfare, just through contacts within groups. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And do you know anything about their backstory? Um, on the Newfie Boxer Cross, he just got too big. They expected him to stay boxer size, and he just kept growing, so I took him in at six months. Yeah. Um, Tally here was two. I took her in to assess her to go on to a new home, yeah. and I had a male at the time, and they just became inseparable within oh. 24 hours, and we had so many dogs in at the time yeah. that I was allowed to adopt her, yeah. which is good. Um, and my other female was born blind. She was born with underdeveloped eyes. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the welfare officer thought that my original boy, because he was severely disabled, would be a very good gui guide dog for her yeah. because um, he was very steady and nothing phased him at yeah. all. 
Um, so I adopted her when she was three months old. Um, and she doesn't do swimming anymore. She did pass a level A before she was nine yeah. months old. Um, but she does karting and she's passed oh. all levels in karting. So uh, she's done really well. How did you have to adapt the training, to, for the water training, for a blind dog? You just, everything has to be verbal commands. Um, same with the karting, everything, left, right, forward, slowly, um, obviously stop when you're on land. <laughs> um, yeah. And when you use articles and things, it was, um, they had bells in or something that would just make a noise that she could home in on. Mm. Um, when I'm karting or when I'm working obedience with her, I wear um, bells on my legs. Yeah. Um, I use Morris dancing leg bells oh, um, yeah. and I always have done. And that works really well because she knows she's in work mode then. She knows she has to do yeah. the hill work, yeah. if you like. Yeah. I mean, I guess, obviously, to a human, to lose your sight is, is dreadful. But to a dog, I suppose, their, their sense of smell kicks in as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, that, well, compensates. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the, the sense, sense of hearing and sense of smell um, <laughs> are so acute. I mean, they're acute anyway, but yeah. yes, in a dog that... that has lost its sight or didn't have any sight to begin with yeah, um, yeah overly so um, it really is amazing the things that they can find <laughs> and disappear off to yeah, yeah. so in general what's life like with a new family um, dirty <laughs> wet <laughs> muddy but fun really really good fun I mean yeah. you 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 can't really be house proud unless your dogs don't go in those rooms that you're house proud in yeah. um particularly and um but it's just really good fun the social life is just amazing yeah. to come away for weekends like this is just incredible and the support you get from people yeah. um is absolutely amazing yeah. um it, it's just a shame that people um, they see dogs at crafts or whatever, you know, and they think that looks really gorgeous. Or they see a fluffy puppy and think that's amazing. They get one, they don't train it. And most of the dogs, a lot of the dogs that come in, have just not been trained properly. Obedience trained, the basic obedience, yeah. heel work and stuff. And they're too big to not do that. Um, so, but it is really good fun. I do absolutely love it, although you are constantly covered in slobber and hair. I was interested to learn that one of Rachel's Newfoundlands, Dyphon, didn't take naturally to the water. No, he didn't. Um, he did his A test when he was about six months old um, and then someone took him in the water and he panicked um, and after that he wouldn't go in the water for four years. Wow. So how did you handle that then? Um, I tried him a few times but he just um, was so distressed with doing it I just decided to leave him so we left yeah. him sort of tethered to the stakes with the others yeah. um, and he'd just go and hide in the back of the car oh, the minute he saw the wetsuits come out he's like no no don't want to do this so he'd go and hide um, so I just left him to it I thought you know sooner or later he will or he won't yeah. you know I'm not yeah. going to worry about it He's he does karting and he does it really really well yeah. Yeah. Um, so we stuck to the karting with him yeah which it does make life easier when you've got five five of them because it's um, um, you've got time then to do all the water with the others. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but and this, then this summer he suddenly yeah this year he just suddenly decided I took him down to the water because it was a really hot day for a paddle and he just swam out to someone and did a hand tow back to shore. So <laughs> we've sort of been in the water every week ever since. Yeah. It's wow, been really really good. It has been amazing. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. it just but yeah and it just does prove that if you leave them. Yeah. Let them get their own feet, as it were. Brilliant. They'll get there eventually. Yeah. So, not all Newfoundlands take to water like ducks. But if you give them a little space, they usually do.
Next up is Helen Holdsworth and Kyla, who, as you can hear, was quite eager to make her presence felt. I've got four Newfoundlands all together. Um, three are welfares. One I've had from a pup, and I had two welfares prior to yeah. the four I've got now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so my heart's with welfares. Cause yeah. <laughs> I think they're lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how have they sort of fitted in when you... To be fair, they, they're all different and they all take different times. I've had a couple that have walked through the door and been at home from day one. I had one that took 12 months to actually settle in the house because of the way he'd been treated before. Um, and he just wouldn't relax. And the day that he actually rolled over onto his side, I knew we'd cracked it. He'd relaxed and felt at home. But he was terrified of treats and everything because he just didn't know how to... so bless him so he was quite hard work Um, but no I mean I've I've been very fortunate they've all been good natures but sometimes it takes you know it does take understanding and work to understand what's driving them sometimes if they do kick off at things Um, but uh, they're all a challenge but I think they're so rewarding (laughs) (laughs) you're our current work in progress aren't you my sweet she was only 18 weeks when we uh, adopted her the um, family couldn't cope with her she was a little bit too boisterous for the mum and she terrified the daughter so (laughs) it was just unfortunate but um, they they, I mean I suppose sometimes people must underestimate just how big a dog they're they're taking on I think so. Um, you know, they see them as puppies, and like, well, like any puppy, to be fair, they're all cute and cuddly, and I think that this breed is renowned for the temperament, but unfortunately, because of the way um, some of the breeding goes, puppy farms and all that sort of thing, if people aren't aware or don't know who to contact, because when I first started out, I didn't know there was a breed welfare for a lot yeah. of the different breeds. You kind of learn as you go along a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think people think that they're going to be just fit in. Yeah. But, of course, a big dog requires training. I think, you know, little dogs behave exactly the same, but if yeah. you can hold on to them... You can scoop them up, yes, can't you, as a new These you can't. You, can't <laughs> you know, when they go, they want to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all in the technique. <laughs> um, and pre-empting. But, and I think, you know, people underestimate because we all love our pets if they're a family dog and you can underestimate that they still need training yeah. as much as any other dog and if you don't the size of them it can then get on top of you if the dog takes control you know um, and I think if they are underestimated um, you know and even the grooming alone is quite considerable on a dog this size Um, particularly when they've been neutered of course which (laughs) we're all for promotion as well so you know particularly on the welfare side so and everybody seems once you've got a new fan you get another one and another one and then a van that seems to be well actually we we got the car and the leads and the bowl before we got the dog I joined the group and everything before we'd even got the dog trying to do the but you know to me it sort of pays off if you do your research because I think there's a breed out there for everybody that wants a dog but it's not necessarily the breed that they think so Helen was well prepared for her Newfoundland and thankfully she did manage to get a word in edgewise around her dog Kyla by the time I spoke to Tracy Ashton about her Newfoundlands I was learning to make the first question I asked how many Newfoundlands do you have
We've got two. This is Bella's our third. She's a rescue. Yeah. Um, so we lost our first noof a couple of years ago, mm. old age. Yeah. Um, so we've had both of them from pup, and then Bella's our first rescue. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she's um, 19 months old. Yeah. And uh, she had six months as a puppy with her family. Mm. But they had an autistic toddler. Yeah. Wondered why they struggled. Yeah, with a Newfoundland growing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she then went into welfare and yeah. was kept in rescue home for four months before we had her. Yeah. So we got her just before Christmas. Yeah. And she's doing well. She's really good. She's a bit too energetic for our 11 and a half year old Noof. <laughs> she's doing really well. Yeah. But little idiosyncrasies, like I was just saying to you, that you just think, oh, where did that one come from? Because you yeah. think she's doing well. And then, and she's my first Noof because. Paul had noose before he met me. Yeah. Before he had me. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. How did she settle, sort of going from her home to then sort of a foster home and then you? Did, how was she when she first came in? She was quite apprehensive, very nervy. She's still got ongoing anxiety. We've got better that we can leave the house on a normal day. Mm. She's not so great when she senses something different's happening. Yeah. And she's still a nightmare on the lead, and she's still a nightmare when people arrive. She thinks everybody's there for her. But it's all about anxiety. She gets, yeah. I can tell now, I've learnt her pitch on her bark. Yeah. When it's yeah. her being naughty or excited or just scared. Yeah. So she still gets that, and everyone warns you of that with a rescue but until you take one on equally when you overcome something it's the most rewarding thing you could possibly have really so have you found it helped sort of having a dog already established in the house did it help with you know settling her in and modeling behavior for her and things like that well if polly was a well-behaved noof i think that would be true (laughs) but polly had a bad teacher in bosun and now Bella's not being that brilliant. Yeah, she's passing those lessons. And Polly's old, so she's quite cantankerous as well. Yeah. But the companionship, definitely. And surprisingly, my cat. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know whether she thinks it's her puppy, but they. Jasper jumps up onto the the box in the hallway, so they're the same height. Yeah. And they head each other and everything, which is just so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm really shocked because. When we integrated the homes, um, Jasper was scared for ye- oh. for ages of the dogs, and so for for them to be that close is really sweet. Yeah. Oh. yeah so. And sort of in general, what's life like with a new family? Well, I think most people expect it to be full on. They, the, typically, you get you have to but you have to walk them a lot, but you have to feed them a lot, and that isn't actually true. And I think, like people, some are different to others. Yeah. She's quite a bright dog, so what we find is you know, I work from home, so I'm quite lucky. Yeah. So I take breaks off and I go in the garden. I do exercise work with her rather than worry. We do take her for walks. Yeah. But it's just as important to, to take care of the mental strain as well. I think. Yeah. So do rescue work and 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 that sort of thing so generally there are days we don't even know you've got them yeah. particularly after swimming when they're tired <laughs> um, yeah. and they do get under your feet a lot they do like laying across your feet yeah. but actually they're just great companions they're so soft they're so yeah. soppy so there you go you don't need slippers with a newfoundland caroline kent told me about her dog Gemma, who didn't have the best start in life she came from a, um, a puppy farm. We got her from welfare. Yeah. Um, she was about 18 months old. Um, so we've had her, she's three now, we've had her about 18 months. Um, when we first got her, she, was, uh, she wasn't house trained. She was frightened of everything. She'd obviously never been in a house before. She was frightened of the carpets, frightened of the television. 
Um, never played with toys, never been in water. Um, but she's, you know, gradually she's learnt um, to do all those things and she's just lovely now. She's just oh. such a, a soppy thing. We've got a golden retriever as well who she loves to pieces. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she's, she's just, she passed her A test the last time we were here a few weeks ago, so we're yeah. going for our second one now. Because she'd never played with toys, you see. So that was our biggest problem. We managed Helen! to get we managed to get her swimming, not too bad. Helen! But it was getting the toy back that she wouldn't do yeah. because um, she'd never played with them before. So retrieving a toy was just not something she did. But we think we've cracked it. But she's a real soppy. She just wants lots of love and affection. And she's just gorgeous. Yeah. I was say, so when you get a dog in, when you, you know, the, sort of the early days when you get a dog like that that's just frightened, I suppose it's just a case of going steady and just... Absolutely. I mean, it was just everything. She, it was just, I think from what we can work out, you don't, you don't get told, a, you know, a huge amount about them, but it seemed like she'd just been in a, like a concrete sort of outside cage type thing um, because all the different floorings in the house were like, she just didn't know what she was doing. So the first time the television went on, she jumped a mile and like, oh God, what's that? And uh, she couldn't climb stairs. She wouldn't get in the car or go up the stairs in the house or anything like that. So yeah, it's just softly, softly really, a little bit at a time. Lots of affection, lots of rewards. And she loves affection. <laughs> She's cuddling in right now while we're talking. Yes. <laughs> she likes nothing better than to have her ears scratched and yeah. rubbed. She's a very, very friendly girl. Yeah. Very had, friendly. Had you had Newfoundlands before her? No, we've had big dogs before, yeah. but um, not Newfoundlands. But now we're hooked. <laughs> and in general, what's life like with a Newfoundland? Lovely. They are just so affectionate. You know, she's always there. Um, she comes in. She's she likes the cold kitchen floor the best, but she'll always come in and keep checking on you. And then she'll just lie down by your feet and roll over and have a tummy tickled and affection constantly. You know, and she's just so pleasant. You can't go anywhere. You walk down the street and everyone, oh, isn't she lovely? And you get stopped. It takes you hours to walk anywhere because people want to fuss her so much. But it is just great. She's one of the best dogs. I think Caroline summed up the views of all the people I interviewed that day when she said that Newfoundlands are the best dogs. You can see photos of the people and dogs we spoke to on the Dogcast Radio site. And we spent a lovely, if somewhat damp day, amongst the water-loving Newfoundlands. You can find out more about Newfoundland welfare at the Newfoundland Club website, which we have a link to. Newfoundlands have been owned by politician Robert Bobby Kennedy, Poet Lord Byron, US Presidents Ulysses S. Grant, Rutherford B. Hayes and James Buchanan, composer Richard Wagner and Peter Pan author J. M. Barry. We have lots of comments and questions posted on the Dogcast Radio website. And one caught my eye recently as being one that many people wonder about, which is, should I get another dog to keep my first dog company? This particular question regards a beagle and goes like this. Hey, one quick question. I have a beagle about ten months old. It barks when left alone at home. I have school duties, so I'm not able to be home most of the time. I was thinking of getting another dog so they will play by themselves when I'm not around, thus making less noise. But I'm wondering whether two beagles equals less separation anxiety barking or two beagles equals double barkings. So, what do you think? 
Would a second dog quieten down the first dog, or learn to bark alongside? Your advice and experiences would be appreciated by the poster, and you can reply on the Dogcast Radio site, email or phone us, or contact us via Facebook or Twitter. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio. Available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What's the difference between dogs and fleas? Dogs can have fleas, but fleas can't have dogs.